From the bayous in Louisiana to the Camber country up north, you'll find them out on the trap line chasing furs to put up on the border. Mixing up another batch of that magical stuff, chilling around the fire after the show. Hey, it's Sarah and Jeff, and maybe a guest on the trapping radio. Welcome to Trapping Radio this week. Uh, we got uh, special guests, special guest uh, Jeff Haggerty and Tim Roper, uh, known as uh, on YouTube and stuff as Meat Trapper. And uh, our um, sponsors this week, unofficial sponsor is uh, Trapline Coffee Company, because Jeff Haggerty's here. <laughs> uh, and he supplied all the coffee for the camp and stuff, so... And uh, I will say that uh, the doctor made me get on some. Ta- I only have one cup of coffee a day, so I'm on decaf. He brought me some, and it's uh, it's probably it's really good. They, uh, I can't tell the difference. Stuff I don't get all, as Sarah would say, irritable. <laughs> 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 Gotta keep you calm. Yeah, keep me calm. <laughs> but. Uh, but so we got uh, trap light coffee, and we got fntpost.com. And uh, if you need any trapping supplies or anything, they're a good one to go through up to Alpena, Michigan. So now we did that. We'll get on to it. Thanks for uh, doing the interview, Tim. No problem. Yeah. With a lot of people, uh, you know, especially on trap radio, know you and stuff, and you know they haven't heard from me for a while, so. Yeah, I'm still uh, still kicking. I, uh, I've relocated from uh, Alabama, where I used to be, uh, outside of Birmingham, up to uh, northwest Tennessee, up around the Clarksville area, and uh, sort of getting to, to know that area and learning to trap all over again because conditions are quite different. And that's uh, That's been a real eye-opener for me. You know, you, you develop a system of trapping based on one location and one set of conditions, and then you uh, you go to a different state and a different set of conditions, and all of a sudden, uh, what you used to do doesn't really work and doesn't really apply. And so, uh, you know, I, it's taught me that you, you're always learning. You are always learning. No, I bet you guys, since y'all do so much out of state and, and state hopping, you you understand that really well. Yeah, especially like here this week, uh, you know, with the water conditions are so low, and you know where there's been say otter crossover for. You know, as long yeah. as I've been coming here, and there ain't one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. there ain't no water. And um, so it, even if you keep going to the same place, the conditions change. Exactly. A lot can happen in a year. Yeah, I've been here when uh, when the canals were iced over, and, uh, you know, it was like under under ice beaver trapping. And then today I'm in a short, short sleeve shirt, you know. It's 70 degrees <laughs> outside. And like you're saying, one thing that, that – that I uh, always try and, and stress to people is, you know, if life hands you lemons, make lemonade. And so, like, one of the things that you were mentioning is the lack of beaver and otter sign because the water was so low. Well, that, that opened up a lot of areas for the hogs to move in out mm-hmm. there. And so a lot of areas that I used to go to last year and years before, 
that were underwater are now high and dry and they're loaded with hogs mm -hmm. out there. So you really just have to be uh, nimble on your feet and, and be prepared for whatever nat Mother Nature throws at you. And there's way more cats here this year than what we've seen in, in past years. So. Yeah. No. Hopefully they'll stop walking past our sets and yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> show a little interest. Exactly. Yeah. You snared a hog out there yesterday where you used to beaver trap. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy because, and you know, and the thing is, is, is I, I, I sort of shot myself in the foot. You know, I made some assumptions because I've been here for several years in a row. And I said, I know exactly what I need to bring. Mm -hmm. I need to bring beaver snares and I need this and I need this. And I'm not going to need that. I'm not going to need that. And then I get out here, and there's hardly any beaver or otter, and it's all hogs. And I'm, you know, uh, so I need to uh, to learn that lesson. And and you got to when you're traveling out of state, you got to bring what you need because uh, you know there's no running back and, and getting it like back home. Yeah, and like you say, you, you learn things. You know, every time you know you change your environment, like moving from Alabama to Tennessee. Or, Something like that. I think I've been state hopping now for 12 years, and it feels like for 12 years um, I've been a, a greenhorn for 12 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like you're, you're learning every time you go somewhere. Like I think the last time I was down here was in 2020. In fact, I know it was. It was 2020 because when Jeff and I went home, uh, that's when uh, COVID was mm -hmm. just starting to be announced on the radios and TV and stuff. And yeah. Um, <clears throat> So all my experience here was based off of four years ago. Yep. And uh, so I got here and, you know, water's six foot shallower than <laughs> what it was. It's, it's hard to find some pinch points, yep. you know. Um, but definitely always a learning curve. Yeah, that's one thing, that, like out there on the on the island where it's all dry now and those hogs are out there. You know, I'm used to, used to snaring trails and, you know, hog trails and, and all of that. And you get out there and... You know, it's wide open, and they've just got acres and acres torn up, and there there was really no trails. They're just everywhere. They're going every which way, mm -hmm. and that was another thing, you know, because um, normally when you're snaring a hog trail or something, they beat the trail down, and, you know, Ray Charles could, could know, mm -hmm. see where to put the snare, but out there, I really had to step back, and I had to look carefully and really do some, some looking at sign to figure out where was the best place to put a snare because... Mm -hmm. You know, I could have put 300 snares at one spot, but, you know, you yeah. can't do that. And, and the funny thing is, is I put my game camera up, and that's another thing, is these cameras are just invaluable. And um, you guys are running those um, cellular cameras, so you mm -hmm. get real-time, you mm -hmm. know, feedback. Uh, but my, I had a Reconyx out there, and I put probably half a dozen snares. I gang-set one little area. And, you know, I went back the next morning, there's nothing touched, nothing there. Looked at the camera and I had a big hog that just walked in between like two or three of my sets and right past the camera, you know? Mm -hmm. And the, the amazing thing is, is, you know, then Carl caught a spotted hog and I started looking at that hog that he caught and compared it to the one on my camera and I'm convinced that's the same hog, <laughs> and it traveled in one night mm -hmm. all that distance. Yep. That's a long ways, too, between there. Yeah, because, you know, and Dustin was talking about that beaver, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, how far the that beaver traveled in one night. Yeah, we had a uh, beaver that I caught, and it was in shallow water, twisted out, and 
uh, caught it in another set. What was it like two and a half miles yeah. away? The night that's you know that same same night, night. same night same you night. Know? And that wasn't like swimming down the edge of a lake shore either. You right. Know, that was like two and a half miles in canals and yeah, because that spotted hog was out on the island way out there, and of course you've got to swim the sloughs to get off that island, and then he was headed to the gut pit where he got caught. Mm-hmm. And that just tells you that that's really eye opening, yeah. you know. And uh, so, the the technology and the cameras, man, don't don't discount that because. Uh, what we've learned is from them cameras. You know, you, we've learned a lot of different stuff, but one of the main things, right, to me, is that you know, you, you're really not that good out there. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's not your environment, yeah. and you're not that good. Um, you know, if you go out and say you caught five bobcats in a day you know what you you didn't catch every one that went by there must have been a shitload that went by because yep. you know i mean they it, it's just it teaches you yep. it, basically that you know the camel the cameras humble you yep. and you know and you can't learn anything if you think you're the greatest out there so yep. i uh i remember I, I made a 220 bucket set and put a camera up in front of it for coon and uh, baited the back of that bucket, and I came back the next morning. There was a possum that I'd caught, and so you know, you think, okay, you possum came by, you, you caught a possum. Well, when I looked at the camera, I had like four coons that visited that set that would not go in that bucket. They were climbing on top of the bucket. Mm-hmm. They were poking around in front of the bucket. You know, they were all off to the side, and um, the possum just walked right up and went right in. Of course, yeah. being yeah. being a possum, that's what possums yeah. do, but. You know, I had no idea that an entire family of coons had worked that set. And then that that sort of showed me that if I, instead of having a 220 in that bucket, if I had put a couple of footholds around Mm -hmm. it, I'd have caught multiple animals. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that goes back to gang setting. Um, It it sounds silly to put three or four footholds, you know, at one spot. But, you know, looking at the camera, that's Mm -hmm. what I should have done. Yeah. No, that's what we found with the cameras that stuff goes around, uh, you know, the sets and, you know, like here last year, I had a blind set for an otter with a foothold and that otter came up there and it looked perfect to me, but I got headed on video where the otter looked at that mm-hmm. and went right around it, mm-hmm. you know, and then when he came back, he went right around the same side again. And that wasn't where he was going before that, Yeah, you know, so even a, even a, a foothold that they know something is not right. I always pictured like an otter, um, you know, bouncing through an area um, at a at a rather um, fast pace. You know, mm-hmm. that was always kind of my impression of an otter when it, you know, a crossover or something like that. I always pictured them going at a really fast pace. Now, granted, they 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 will, but um, when especially when we were down in Louisiana last year and we were putting um, a lot of trail cameras out on crossovers and the one thing that really stuck out in my mind is how um, aware an otter is of everything in that crossover Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. if there's a leaf that came in it knows that there's a new leaf in that Mm. cross you know i mean if there's a stick there if there anything that's out of place or whatever they they are they in my opinion they're a water coyote Right, hmm. they're a coyote mm-hmm. of the water, and yep. they're very skittish. In anything, they're 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 anything that is out of place, it will make them stop. Right, and they'll start looking around. 
they'll pause, right? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. that's what I think was very noticeable to me. Um, and it didn't matter if you were, you know, well, two of the sets, right? So one using body grips, obviously, that's going to put some obstruction in in mm-hmm. their way. Um, and that was making them pause. Didn't mean they wouldn't go through. Mm-hmm. A lot of them go. A lot of them were going around, but it would just cause them to pause, right? Same thing with a foothold. And if you were blocking that foothold down, they seen those sticks where they're using stepping sticks or something like mm-hmm. that. Something's different, and it caused them to pause. Um, and it was just something was different there. Yep. You know, I agree a hundred percent. One year and a half or so ago, during the off season, I put a camera up. And I was just watching um, uh, banks uh, on a creek, and I was just seeing, you know, what was coming up and down the creek. And I didn't have any lure, didn't have set out or anything like that. But I was shocked at how many nights otters evidently saw that camera back up on the bank and came up out of the out of the water, out of <laughs> up on the bank, and got right in the face of that camera, like like three inches from the camera, just looking straight into it. <laughs> And like you said, they knew, they saw yeah. it. And, you know, the average person would walk right past a, a camera back in the woods like right. that. Mm-hmm. Right. But they, they were right in it. Yeah. yeah. Just saying hi. Just saying <laughs> hi. <laughs> hey, Tim. Yeah. Now, if I'd put oh a foothold in front of that camera, <laughs> they'd have never visited. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're going to be YouTube famous. That's right. <laughs> it's the meat tender. I got to get out of here. Yeah, if they had fingers, they'd have flipped me off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that um, a couple of years ago when we were down here trapping together, one thing I found um, rather uh, fascinating was your system of, you know, going out in a kayak or canoe mm-hmm. and you were just running snares. Um, yep. It's not it's not a, a familiar practice, especially in the north. You know, we don't have these big cypress swamps and yeah. stuff like that. You want to explain a little bit? Um, yeah, you know, maybe your system. The the the, the first thing that, that a small boat, or a kayak, or a small canoe, or what have you, and I'm running right now a Discovery One Nineteen canoe. It's eleven feet nine inches long, um, and so you're not going to put a dozen three thirties in that you know you're not going to put a dozen ts85s in that so you've got to you've got to run snares and you've got to be prepared um, for a variety of conditions and so what i do is i uh i set my snares up to where um, i have the snare then i have the extension cable i have an earth anchor and for these type of conditions i use the berkshire soft earth the big the big ones Uh, and then i also have a, a spring clip on it I coil all that up, so when I grab that, I have what I need regardless of of what conditions I'm going to run into. So I'll uncoil the snare. It's got the extension cable already on it. And if I'm in, if, if I don't have a tree, a good tree to tie off to, it's already got the earth anchor on it, so I can just push that down in the mud. If I do have a good tree, then I can just clip it with that spring clip on there, and, and then I'm I'm gone. And I use a coil of 11 gauge wire. Now, once again, being in a, a small canoe or, or a small kayak, I can't I can't carry a, the pre-made snare supports. You know, um, you know, like you can in the back of a truck. And those are nice and convenient. And so uh, I carry pliers and a roll of 11 gauge wire. And I'll do one of two things. If if there's a tree that's within where I'm setting close say 12 inches or so, 
uh, I'll wire, I'll put my support wire and twist it onto the tree or the limb or, or what have you. I don't like to go farther than say 12 inches on a support wire because it gets, it gets bouncy and, and unsteady and I like it rock solid. So the next thing uh, that I'll do is, you know, beaver trapping, you're, there's always going to be sticks everywhere. You know, the beavers provide your snare supports for you. And so I'll just take a, a piece of a beaver stick, um, and break it over my leg or whatever until I get, say, a 12 to 14 inch stick. And I'll twist the 11 gauge wire around that. Now, one of the things that I learned the hard way was a round stick spins, okay? And so I'll have my knife on me, and what I'll do is on the top and the bottom, I'll just cut a part of that stick away so that I have a flat surface on the top and a flat surface on the bottom. And that way, the stick doesn't spin in the mud nearly as easily because it's, uh, it's, it's not round anymore. And that support wire, when I twist that 11-gauge wire onto the top of that stick, it doesn't want to spin around um, the, the round uh, stick because it's got a flat surface. And so, you know, that way, you know, I'm just carrying a pair of pliers, um, a roll 11 gauge wire, and then using whatever I have there um, because it, it, you know, it adds up. If you're, you know, I mean, I weigh 200 pounds, say that I believe the canoe's capacity is 450 pounds. And if you've got it filled up with equipment, then you don't have any room for beavers, you know? Nope. Um, you know, so, and then plus, you know, paddling, the more weight's in the boat, the harder it is to paddle. And like you get out here and that wind's in your face. And I have, um, I have perfected the ability to change wind direction. It will always blow into my face regardless of which way I turn. <laughs> so I've never, <laughs> so, so if you need the wind to blow a direction, you let me know and I'll paddle that way and it'll be right in my face. So. You wouldn't make a good sailor. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, you know, the idea is uh, travel light um, and, and, uh, improvise and um, just use the natural materials instead of um, trying to trying to carry uh, the trapping supply catalog with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I, I found it you know fascinating because I like that. I like simplicity, yeah. you know, and uh, your your approach is definitely um, made of simplicity or perfected, you know, from simplicity. And so really, really cool. You know, we get, you know, where we trap most time, we have the advantage of having a, a full truck bed right there, you yeah. know, for the most part. And so you, you're usually overflowing with, with all kinds of different gear, but um, and I it's apply definitely that, cool. Yeah, I apply that simplicity principle to the actual boat itself. If you look, go look at, at my canoe, there's, I don't have any camera attachments. I don't have any rod holders. I don't have any, any of lights or mounts or anything like that because it's, You've got to be able to pick it up and drag it. You've got to be able to, you know, throw it and throw it in the mud. And, and when it fills up with water, you've got to be able to roll it over. And, you know, just, uh, it's basically just a hull, you know. And uh, uh, the, other, the other thing that, that I would stress to people is if you're going to buy a boat, buy a good quality one. You don't want one that's going to leak or that's cheap. Um, and a paddle is critical. Your paddle is your motor. And if I would, I, if you're going to buy a middle of the road boat, buy a, the highest quality paddle that you can, because if if one paddle is eight ounces lighter, that may not sound like a much, 
but I probably in the last three days I've probably paddled 20 22 miles and you know you think about putting an eight ounce weight on your foot and walking 22 miles you'll feel it and um, a good lightweight paddle um, is, is 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 critical it's a lot of repetitions a lot of, it's a lot, lot of eight rep. ounce repetitions you know and then you're dragging beavers and fighting briars and you know you get old and uh, every every ounce counts yes it does and eight ounces, eight ounces, eight ounces. That's eight right. Ounces, eight That's ounces. right. <laughs> against the wind. <laughs> always, always against the wind. Yeah. So when you, you know, I mean, when you first got into trapping, um, you know, you were talking about the other night, but you know, uh, would love to hear it again. Um, you know, uh, how did how did that? You know, because I mean, you your whole life has been about you know the outdoors and trapping and the yeah. simplicity of it, and you know good products to use, you know, not getting hung up on junk. You yeah. know, um, you know, I mean, where did that all start? Well, I think I think I think most people, at least I did, have you you'd make a full circle where when you first start trapping, you're you're doing these brain dead simple sets, you know, like you take a can of sardines and nail it to a tree and then put a trap under it and you catch a coon and you go wow this is pretty cool and then you start to try and get fancy and you start to pick up all the secrets and and all the gadgets and everything and then it gets to the point to where you've got so much crap and and so much stuff it's too much work and it takes the fun out of it and so then you start cutting back and so now I've like come full circle mm-hmm. to where I'm now I'm just back to you know the basics and when I first started, I was a, I was a hunting guide um, and I'm working on a hunting plantation in South Carolina. And I knew nothing about trapping. I, I had no idea that people even really did it anymore. And the owner came to me one day and said, we've got a trapper coming out. He's going he's gonna to thin out the nest predators. I need you to show him around and show him where the property lines are and take care of him and give him what he needs. And so I was like, yes, sir. And this old, this old fellow shows up. And he was driving this, uh, it looked like a Sanford and Son jalopy truck, you know, and it was rusted and it was, it was filled with rebar and wires and all, the, all this. And I was like, what in the heck is this? And the old man gets out and his name was Skeet. And he was all gimped up and he, he couldn't hardly walk. And uh, so I was showing him around and I was like, what, what do you do? You know, how do you catch these animals? And he had the old Victor number one long springs, the, the cheapest trap that you could possibly get and uh, he'd have a couple of feet of, of chain on it and he had the old fox drags the little, little two-prong wire fox drags and all he did was he rode up and down the dirt roads till he found a mud puddle and he had a bag of corn on the seat next to him and he would throw a couple of handfuls of corn in the mud puddle and drive off and he'd do that and, and then he came back the next day and he was looking for coon tracks to see which mud puddles the coons had come to. <laughs> and when he came to a mud puddle that the coons had been in, he took his little long spring, set it, and just tossed it out the window, and he'd put three or four of them in a mud puddle on a, on a, <laughs> on a little fox drag. And then, of course, he roped me into it. He suckered me into going and checking for him. <laughs> and so the coons would come along, and they would be eating the corn out of the mud puddle, and they'd blunder along till they stepped in the long spring, and of course, I'd find the coon like thirty feet up in a tree, where, you know, where it, so I'd be having to cut the tree down, playing playing Paul Bunyan to get his coon for him, you know. And it was just stupid simple, but it worked. And he caught a pile of 
stuff mm-hmm. off of this stupid because he, he just did it over and over and over and over and over and it's like they say in the army if it's stupid and it works it ain't stupid mm-hmm. and um, that you know that taught me a lot mm-hmm. um, he, he wasn't out buying the latest greatest of anything he didn't have the money for it you know and uh uh, it, corn and dog food was was his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the the point is is you don't have to have a lot of money and you don't have to have super expensive stuff to go out and have fun and to catch stuff. So, well, you just caused a shortage of corn and dog food, across, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially across Iowa. <laughs> well, it's like uh, down in Lower Alabama. Um, they're, they have a, a big red fox population. It's gotten to the point where they're developing rabies because there's so many red fox. And uh, there was a guy down there that I talked to that was catching the crap out of red fox. And I was like, what are you doing, dirt holes or flat sets? Or... And he said, no. He would take an area and he would like rake the leaves off and clear like a five foot by five foot area. And he'd bed three or four traps in there. And then he would just scatter dog food over the top of the ground, just randomly scatter it. And those fox would come in and they would eat it and they'd be walking around, stepping the trap. So it was basically the same thing that that old man was doing with mm-hmm. coons. And, but he was doing it with fox. Just didn't have the mud puddle. Yeah, I just didn't have the mud puddle. Just throw the throw stuff on the ground. <laughs> I mean, it's drop dead simple. You know, you're no- It'd be fun to hear them two argue over the, you know, you need the mud puddle to make this work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> To hide the trap. See, that's yeah. too much work to bed yeah. the trap, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's why us water trappers are just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. throw it in. Just, just throw it in the water. <laughs> I had an old guy down to Louisiana tell me about back in the day, he he would go and take, I don't remember what he said for bait, but he'd put the bait in the middle of the road so the cars from both ways would have a shot at whatever was in the road. <laughs> And then he would run the roads before daylight to see what he had, you know, captured on his line. (laughs) (laughs) And he would run hundreds of miles of that. Wow. No trap necessary. He called it trapping. Trapping without trap. I mean, it is. It was a trap. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it's funny that you talk about roads. Um, It is surprising how these animals will will cross these roads. I was... uh, I was in uh, Alabama, and I was in downtown Birmingham, and it was a four-lane interstate, two lanes going north, two lanes going south, with one of those concrete dividers in between the lanes. And there was a, it was broad daylight, and there was a mink that had climbed the concrete barrier and was crossing four lanes of interstate. <laughs> he was determined, he was going from one place to another, and he was not gonna let I-65 stop him <laughs> from doing it. And, you know, it just shows you, the animals are, you know, they they deal with the environment that they're in. Did he make it? He made it. Huh. And I was like, man, I just don't believe I saw what I saw. It's a mink <laughs> on the interstate, crossing the interstate, you know. And that's that's another thing that I learned is, you know, living in a, a, a large city like Birmingham, instead of driving outside the city, trapped with what you have, and um, I learned to look for any culverts that went under the interstate, um, or when you had a, a, a railroad track, if you had a, a culvert that went under the railroad track, it was shocking. Every animal in the county knew where these points mm-hmm. were 
to yep. get across. Mm-hmm. And it is a natural funnel, you know, and you could look at a map and go and go do that. And, and people wouldn't believe what you'd catch in a suburban area. Yep. You know, you didn't have to be in the wilderness. So no, you just because they don't see them, they think they're not there. Right. Right. And they're there. The tracks don't lie. Mm-hmm. No. People do. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like when you when your car's leaking, you put cardboard under it, and the old saying, the cardboard don't lie. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. no. no I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> but it's it's been fun. I've uh, I've enjoyed the trip, even though the catch hadn't been up. You know, that's uh, that's another thing is when I was younger, I was all about numbers and uh, percentages and and all of that and I would I would you know pronounce something a success or a failure depending upon you know what I caught or whatever and you realize that just sometimes uh, it's it's not there if the animals aren't there you're not going to catch them and if the conditions turn against you there's nothing you can do about that and that's that's trapping you know that's why they call it trapping and not catching and um but the but the thing is it's I still enjoy it regardless i mean yeah i like it better when i catch a bunch of stuff no doubt but uh you got to take a step back and and look at the bigger picture and and realize um that you're you're fortunate to be able to do what you're doing and um you can enjoy the woods even if you even if you miss the the animal you know you can yeah. learn 100 percent. So. i mean you kind of that's a that's a i mean that topic there can go in a lot of different directions but it brings up something that you know, in today's world with social media and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, everybody's wanting to catch numbers, you know, mm-hmm. or they're wanting to catch one of these or one of those or, you know, a new coyote trapper wanting to catch coyotes or something like that. And and if they don't catch one, they feel they're unsuccessful, you know, or um, these kids, you know, I mean, we try and push the kids to, you know, to get into trapping and you know, they look online, they join Trap and Talk or something, you know, and they see pictures of guys with, you know, you know, 30 raccoons or, mm-hmm. you know, six coyotes in their truck or whatever. And, you know, um, I've had some of them tell, I, I've had them come up at shows and mm-hmm. said they wanted to catch, you know, coyotes like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, don't pay attention to, to yeah. that. You know, it's hard not to pay attention, but don't yeah. judge yourself by what someone else has in their pictures and today those pictures are being thrown in our face everywhere mm-hmm. right that's in the palm of your hand on your phone and because uh, you're right some locations they don't have the carrying capacity they don't yep. have the numb they're not you know they're not target rich environments you know you got um you got environmental conditions you know yep. there's so many different things that changes stuff or you know you get a disease that comes through you know distemper and it wipes out you know all the raccoon in the area um but this young kid he's he just started this year and he didn't know there was distemper right he can't can't find a raccoon let alone catch one you look here if you looked at the pictures what we caught here four years ago Mm -hmm. yeah and then the same trapper same location Mm -hmm. everything's the same except for the the environmental conditions and then you looked at the pictures from this trip it would look like I mean, yeah. if you would think that the other people knew what they yeah, were doing. Yeah, did you forget and, how yeah, to trap? Yeah. 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 We had, we had, it's, actually, it's actually been way harder this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had so 
that was that trip we had that side by side so loaded down with yeah. beaver that we rolled a tire off. Two, two tires. Yeah. Two yeah. Tires. yeah. Yeah. Blowing tires. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I, I actually put a video on my channel a few years ago. Uh, it was called Beaten by Black Belt Beavers. And I was down in the Black Belt of Alabama, down around Demopolis, which is just swamp heaven. And uh, I, I went out and I, I had made a bunch of sets and I was sitting there that night thinking, man, I'm, uh, I'm going to sink the boat when I go back out. And I didn't have a thing, not one. And I put the whole video up and, uh, and I had a bunch of guys comment on it saying, I'm glad that you are honest, mm -hmm. you know, and you're not just making stuff up to put yeah. on YouTube and that, you know, even if you're in a, a good environment, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. That's it. But, you know. Sometimes yeah. they just don't move. Yep, that's just the way it is. Yep. Yeah, if you could, if you could force everything, you know, into your trap every night, it probably wouldn't be much fun. No, it wouldn't. It'd be a lot of work. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't do it for the work. No. I, I, like, I judge my day anymore. Um, you know, if I had fun. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, it's like I come in and told you last night. You know, I yep. said. Hey man, thanks for us having such a great time yeah. out there. You know, I <laughs> yep. mean, if we'd have, if we'd have caught nothing or we'd have caught some uh, uh, pickup load, I, I, you know, I'm just happy to have a, have a good day out there. Yep. And, and you never know what you, you got to get out and do it, even if it if it sucks, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to see, what you're going to learn. It's like it's like Alan with that beaver out in the middle of the open field. Yeah, I mean that's you know who would who would think that you would see a beaver out in the middle of a bean field that far and it's not and there was no cover crop or anything out there. I mean, what he was doing, who knows? Mm -hmm. but he was going somewhere. Yeah. Well, when Alan comes through, everything runs for Alan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. He said at first he was scared of when he got up there after he thought it was. Oh, he said, "I hope that wasn't Dustin's dog." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, talking going back to the simplicity thing, his his dog proof coon trap setup just I, I took pictures of that. I took mm -hmm. videos of that last time. I mean the way he has it hooked to a piece of rebar with a swivel on it, I mean he sets and goes. Yeah. And uh that's that's that goes back to, you know, the throwing the trap in the mud puddle. Mm -hmm. I mean, that man can put some sets out, just boom, 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 yeah. boom. You know, and he he's catching them. No, he he uh, is a killing machine on raccoons and possums. Yep, he's got that dog-proof system down, where he's got the T-bar stake and he's got a nut welding on it, and has a swivel on it, and it's uh, it's 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 fast, it's simple, and it works. He's hard to get footage with. Cause yeah, because because he moves. By the time I I move slower <laughs> than him, and by the time I got my door open to get out. You get some footage of a cook, like a t double or triple on raccoons, they're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wyatt Earp had nothing on him on yeah. drawing that pistol. <laughs> yeah, I got pictures of his system last year. I had to, I had to sneak up after he had parked his buggy, and he had some had some mm -hmm. DPs, and I stretched them out on the ground, took pictures of him. Yeah, you know, he had to wait till he was gone to <laughs> steal his idea. You know. <laughs> Yep, them guys from Iowa. I mean, they set a lot of traps, and you know, they catch a lot of coon. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of coon there, but them guys have got systems down. Yeah. Never, you know, I mean, Northern Michigan, are you going to go out and catch a thousand coon? No, you know, the, the numbers generally aren't there. 
you know, so, uh, you know, but you could still take benefits away from stuff that guys that do have big numbers, you know, like that Allen system. It would work great anywhere. Unless you yeah, and it's just it's just the simplicity. Unless yeah. it's rock hard clay, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you get down in Alabama on some of them where it's so hard it cracked, yeah. Yeah. that that system is not going to help you there. But generally, well, and that's you know, and and like you're talking about the the conditions are different. You know, Chip had a a, a setup for his DPS with a drag mm-hmm. where he has a little uh, notch in the drag, and mm-hmm. he would he would pre bait all the DPS, stick them uh, stick them in that notch, and then all he had to do was uh, ride down the road and just drop 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 and yep. drop those sets in man mm-hmm. and go. You know, uh, simple. That's I think that's that's really the the one thing that over the years I keep coming back to is uh, the kiss principle keep mm-hmm. it simple yeah that's what my, my dad told me we were down Louisiana trapping and he uh looked in the back of the truck and he says you got a lot of gadgets and I'm like no not really I mean you know like eight stands and yeah he said you know it's really weird how much fur we used to catch with just a roll of wire and a piece of bait yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah, and and that applies not only to trapping, but I mean, you can look at turkey hunting, deer hunting, Fish, anything, fishing, fishing, yeah, anything like that. You know, there used to be a, a two guys from Alabama, TK and Mike, that used yeah, to make comedy videos. Yeah, absolutely. And some of their turkey calling stuff, you yeah. know, is a, a double cluck fly down stutter, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, and, and he would go into this big production. It would take him like eight minutes to do the turkey call, you know, and, <laughs> but that's, you know, the same thing as making fun of, uh, you know, overcomplication. Mm-hmm. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, but you know, and when I was a kid, I can remember guys going deer hunting. You had the wooden stands that you nailed between two trees. You mm-hmm. took two boards up there, a piece of plywood, and they would get off from work in their coveralls that had motor oil on their coveralls, and they'd climb up there with a shotgun and they'd be smoking a cigarette and kill deer <laughs> because they knew where the deer were crossing, yeah. they knew which way the wind was blowing, and they just got up there and shot deer. Yeah, you know. And now, man, you can spend a thousand dollars on a climbing stand made out of, you know, titanium mm-hmm. and scent elimination systems yeah. and you know, the whole suit. Yeah. 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 Look like a beekeeper. Yeah. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, definitely. Times have changed. But, you know, the principles don't. No, they stay the same. Yep. Yeah, the stuff that works is. You know, is it? I mean, it's like the the stuff that works. You know, always comes comes back. You know, and that's pretty much what people stick with. It's like you'll get some weirdo stuff that pops up, and then you know a bunch of people try it, and then it fades away. Well, it's like Carl told me yesterday. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not a big predator trapper, and so I was watching him and picking up tips on on coyote locations and and things like that. And um, I was watching, you know, how he made his sets and asking him questions about this, that, and the other. And, and he said, you know, don't get hung up on all of that. He said, I would rather have a mediocre set in a good location than a perfect set in a bad location. Mm-hmm. Yep. You yep. know, and, and that comes to knowledge. Yep. 
Well, you must have listened because you're the only one that caught a coyote. Yeah. <laughs> you're a very good student. Yeah. <laughs> That's beginner's yeah, luck. Yeah, yes, yeah, you make Carl look good. Yeah. <laughs> he needs all the help he can get. <laughs> well, you know, he's management now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We all know how managers yeah. are. Lining shit out. Lining shit out, that's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> The only thing I ever seen Carl doing so far this week is standing there smoking a cigarette and pointing. (laughs) (laughs) You boys go over there. (laughs) And 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 drinking Bud Light. Drinking Bud Light. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure I want to go there. Yeah. 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 He he's a hell of a good guy. Yeah. He is. He he takes a ribbon good too because we've been giving it to him. Oh, he's he's definitely. Got some thick skin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I thought the Dead Sea Chicken thing was pretty funny myself. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's meat magnet, Carl. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. now the meat magnet. Yep. Yep. Carl's Dead Sea Chicken. <laughs> you, you can taste the chicken, add more salt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's that's what it's all about, man. Is having fun because you never know how much time you have left. You never know when your last day is going to be, and you might as yeah. well enjoy it. Well, I was ragging on poor Carl yesterday. I told him I said, if you were a northern trapper, I said it'd be interesting to see you because I said able to find your sets because I said there you'd make your set and then take a five gallon bucket of salt and dump on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was just up in northern Minnesota, and that's you know. Trapper, you, you're going to be looking looking for stuff all uh, everywhere, mm-hmm. and that's the first thing I noticed was uh, when when it was snowing up there. I was like, "How in the heck do these guys trap in the snow?" Mm-hmm. And being from Alabama, that's I just I just blew my mind because when it snows, you go you go sit in the house until it melts. You know, <laughs> nothing but cats are moving down there anyway. So. <laughs> so it was, but that was interesting up there, just seeing a different different part of the country and uh and and seeing how everything iced up and um it was it was really really cool mm-hmm. you know i'd love to get up there and trap uh, uh up along the gunflint trail and all of that just beautiful area and i was there was a lot of beaver sign up there man you know land of ten thousand lakes yeah. i think a lot of people would like to be able to trap in minnesota but you know, yeah you need to get them to change their their laws first yep yep I got a buddy that lives up there, and uh, he, uh, I, I said, you know, even if I can't can't do it, I'd like to ride along and watch, mm-hmm. you know, and just just be part of it. Mm-hmm. So, well, that'd be be awesome to trap out there. So, what's next in Tennessee? You, uh, I'm I'm assuming their seasons are probably pretty much ending. Is there something you're gonna Looking forward to targeting there in Tennessee. Are you going to stay more water trapping there? Are you going to move on to yeah predators? Or? What I'll what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll do some turtling, you know, um, and and once again the area that I'm in it's it's interesting because uh, it's a lot of rocky hilly you know Tennessee Tennessee hills you know, uh, whereas down in Alabama it was all flat and, and man it was easy trapping. You know, but everything where I'm at up there is uh, is is tougher. You know, and it's uh, so it's um, you know, and I'm fortunate that snaring is legal uh, because when you get into that rocky ground, 
a snare really, really shines, mm -hmm. you know, tr compared to trying to chisel, jackhammer out a, mm -hmm. a foothold set, you know. Um, but one thing that I am looking at that I've been watching this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gear up for next year, uh, is mink. Mm. Um, that, you know, that, that's just sort of adjusting to your environment because, yeah. uh, you know, you've got all, the, all these little rocky streams and uh, uh, you can really get in and target mink, you know, and, and do the um, uh, bottom edge sets and, right. and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, so that'll, that'll just be a new learning experience. And since I'm getting a little older, I've, I've found that, that mink traps are lighter than beaver traps <laughs> and mink are lighter than beaver. <laughs> yep. So that's how I am with muskrats. In our area. I'm like, I can carry like four in each hand. <laughs> I'm about to be a mouse trapper. Yeah. Yeah. I am a mouse trapper. <laughs> you, you were, you were yesterday. Yep. 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 Yeah, you got to be pretty damn good to be able to catch a mouse by the head in a jake trap. Yeah, that, that's some light pan. Yeah, that's what you can say. That's that's pan tension. I had a skunk in it today. They, they rode around and said, "Yeah, you guys got a skunk over there." Me and Jeff's got our traps, you know, right there. And I told him, I said, "I'm if you catch a bobcat or a coyote, I said, I'm just as happy for you as if I caught it myself." And uh, I said, I sure hope that's your damn skunk. Yeah. <laughs> he says, right back at you. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, is uh, I really miss that uh, Locklear isn't here yeah. this year. I, I miss uh, I miss that because so far nobody has caught a teddy bear in their trap. <laughs> and if he's here, somebody usually catches a teddy bear in their, in their trap. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He was up at my place in Michigan setting colony traps, and he caught a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I miss him being here because, uh, like, last night when we were all sitting at the table eating dinner, I was thinking, you know, except for, like, me and Jeff, every other person there... Um, we're only friends or know them like you or, you know, uh, was, you know, because of but well, we were all friends with Clint and, yeah. you know, so we all got to be friends, yep. you know, so we all, you know, th I'm thankful that Clint, you know, brought us all together because mm -hmm. made some lifelong friends because of that. Yep. Then, uh, he abandoned us. <laughs> he said, I, I put the wrong circle together. Yep. 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 It became too hardcore even for Locklear. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I I have learned a lot from him over the years. I I really have, and it, and you know the the thing that I uh, I liked was you know he wasn't real big on specific tips and tactics and techniques, but he taught you how to think about it. Yeah, you know, which is really the the valuable thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of use this particular trap, you know, or this particular lure, it's what what are you trying to do and 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 that and look at it from a broader perspective. He'd ask you why a lot. Yeah. You know, why are you doing that? You know, what's your what's your reasoning for that? Yeah. Yeah. And and as a trapper, if you ask yourself that when you're making your set, you you will think about you know what I mean. You, yeah. you, you will I think become a better trapper if you ask yourself why. You know right. why am I putting it here versus there? Why am I using this versus that? Exactly. And if you have a if you're a land trapper and got a bad lower back, you ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. Why would I set that there? Mm -hmm. You know, 
I didn't realize that before, but I asked mm-hmm. myself, is that a good spot? Because if I'm going to kneel down <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to be hurting, <laughs> it's going to hurt to count. stand up. Why? Yeah, yeah. Or do I really yeah. want to? My catch percentage probably went way up <laughs> with, with a bad back. <laughs> yeah, I remember one thing that uh, one comment he made that as a water trapper really helped me was, uh, you know, instead of, uh, instead of, going all the way over there they've got all night to swim to me yep. you know yep. and so find those funnels and those choke points and, and that sort of thing well, we're firm believers in that policy yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah basically if i can't down here if 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 i can't fall out the door and fall into my trap <laughs> i ain't sad <laughs> Fact, when he went to pull up to one set with a skunk in, I was like, "Pull up further because he's only about three feet away, and his ass is aimed right at me." <laughs> and that's the shooting end. That's like a cannon ready to go off. And I didn't have my pellet gun with me to keep him from spraying, so I'm over there like wide earth with a pistol, <laughs> trying to gun him down. And I thought he was dead. And Alan came by and said, "You how come you guys didn't shoot that, kill that skunk?" I said, I did. He said, he's back live over there. <laughs> so, hmm. I guess I need a bayonet on the end of that pistol. Finish him off. <laughs> I'll let you borrow one of my clubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, were, they were telling me, oh, I got a catch-all pole here for you. I was like, yeah, the damn skunk could probably run off of my catch-all pole. <laughs> <laughs> They, uh, so you got, uh, are you still doing like your Patreon channel? Yeah. And- yeah. Uh, I, I handle, I handle some content that's probably, uh, shall we say not real mainstream. Um, and, and the reason, the reason for that is I, you know, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't raised a trapper and I didn't know anybody that, that trapped or anything. And I, I grew up on the Gulf coast down in Mobile. And one thing that I was familiar with was hurricanes. I uh, went through uh, Camille in 1969, and then Frederick in 79, and Frederick really, really devastated Mobile. And I was a teenager at that time, and I remember uh, no power, no water, the, the heat down there was just, just it was terrible. And it was just a miserable experience. And I remember telling myself, I, I never again, I'm never going to go through this again. I'm going to be prepared. And so that sort of got me off into the, the prepping thing, you know. So I was I was a, a prepper, uh, natural disasters or, or what have you. And as, a, as I grew older I, and, and I got married and I had a family, I realized, you know, I have a responsibility to, to be prepared to take care of them regardless. And you can store you know, rice, you can store beans and all of that kind of stuff. But the thing that really vexed me was meat. And, you know, freeze-dried meat is is super expensive. Um, and and I started, started thinking about, you know, how can I provide protein for my family? Well, it just sort of hit me one day that I'm catching these animals. And this is when fur really went down in value. And I'll never forget, I got 75 cents for a coon one time and I thought something is not right here it was I had to buy the trap I had to buy the the lure 
and and then I had to go set it, and then I you know skin the animal, and then I flesh the animal, and stretch the animal, and then I send it to auction. I get seventy five cents, and then I realize I'm throwing away meat. I'm selling the thing that is virtually worthless, and I'm throwing away the stuff that is worth more money, and that's where the whole idea of meat trapper came in, especially with beaver because it's good meat, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a food source for the Indians, you know, for, for thousands of years. And so I sort of combined my prepping with my trapping and sort of blended the two together. And, you know, it was slow to catch on and people sort of sort of mocked me for a long time. But, you know, now it's a little bit different. Now people go to the grocery store and they look at the price of meat. Mm-hmm. And then they look at a beaver. Well... Now, you know, it makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of sort of where my two two hobbies, I guess you'd call them, my two endeavors came together and um and you know, it it to me it just made sense. And I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-fur or anything like that. It's just uh if you look at how much meat that you get off of a a beaver, for instance, and you go to the store and you look at uh, organic grass-fed meat, and you look at how much a pound it is, you're, the meat on a beaver is worth twice what the pelt on a beaver is, mm-hmm. and it takes much less time to process. Yep. You know, and so there's there's economics there that, that, that makes sense. And plus it's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the government of Canada did a study on the nutritional content of beaver meat because, you know, up there they have what they call the First Nations. And, um, you know, that was a, a food source for them. And they found that beaver uh, had more uh, protein per gram than bison, and it had way, way, way more minerals, um, mm-hmm. you know, the phosphorus and manganese and all that. And what they found was is that if you think about it, a cow is eating grass, and grass grows real quick and has very shallow roots. You know, you mow the grass and two weeks later you gotta mow the grass again. Well, there's not a lot of nutrition in grass. Mm-hmm. Whereas the beaver are eating the bark off of a tree and that tree puts down roots that go down deep and they're there for years. And so the tree bark has more nutrition in it than grass, has more minerals. And so the beaver is eating higher quality feed than the cow is. And that's reflected in the nutritional value of their meat, you know. And so there's, I mean, you know, it's not only economic sense, but it's nutritional sense as well. I looked that up. I found a tag like they put on food, um, and it gave the breakdown on everything in in beaver. And I don't, I couldn't even say any of it now because I don't remember. But uh, I was shocked at you know yep. all the all the minerals and yep. stuff that they had listed on there. It was it was pretty cool. It's very interesting. Yeah. You know, well, you know, the and the thing is, is I mean, I don't want to get off into this discussion, but you know, I'm I'm being treated for cancer, and you know, chemotherapy. One of the things that it does is it drives your platelet count down. You become anemic, um, and so there, you know, every two weeks I have blood work done. And so I just I started playing around with my diet and watching the results of my blood work. And so I went on a vegan diet, not vegetarian, but a vegan diet for two weeks. And when I went in for my next treatment, they came out and they said, we might have to delay treatment because you're anemic. Um, your platelets have, have plummeted. 
And that, they were really worried about that. And I told the doctor, I smiled and I said, no, I'll, I'll fix it. And she said, well, you know, we've got stuff we can prescribe and, and we'll take a break. And I said, no, I'll, I'll fix it. And she said, what are you going to do to fix this? And I looked her right in the eye and I said, I'm going to eat beaver liver and kidneys. And you talking about, you know, deer in the headlights. Just <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and, and, you know, going back to the Indians, they used to think they used to take back straps and that was their dog food. They'd throw the back straps to the dog food. They wanted the organ meat. And so I eat the liver and the kidneys from the beaver. And so I went home and I started eating the organ meats. Mm. I went back the next time. My platelets had gone from anemic to in the normal range in two weeks. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I was able to, and you know, it's not like the, Oh, I feel better. I'm, I can show you the exact numbers, scientific numbers mm. graphed out of what I, what I've eaten and what effect it has on my, my, my blood work. And so you really are what you eat and wild game is by far better for you than, than anything you're going to go get in the store. Oh yeah. I can promise you that. Yeah. Beavers are basically about the only thing I eat, you know, um, out there like we eat some bobcats and stuff, but I'm eating a lot of his beaver meat. Yeah. You know, Sarah Lake's making the roast and mm-hmm. you know, we, we love it. I mean, it's like a high grade, mm-hmm. high grade beef. My, uh, my, my rule of thumb is, um, vegetarians first you know beaver muskrat mm-hmm. that sort of thing omnivores second that'd be your raccoon or what have you and then the predators last and uh you know I, and, and i always you know <laughs> i make a joke it's like professional courtesy predators don't eat predators right and and the other lesson is is if you're a vegetarian you're high on the list for uh <laughs> for being harvested <laughs> Have you ever tried otter before? I have one time, and I I classify things as um, um, uh, desirable, palatable, and edible. And I put otter as edible. In other words, it's, it, if you're starving, yes. Um, and I, so, for instance, beaver is desirable. Mm-hmm. A coon would be palatable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to me, it's not it's not really desirable. It's not something I would seek out. But then again, you know, if it's done right, it's not something that I'm going to, you know, puke over or anything mm-hmm. like that. Whereas an otter, and I, I eat otter backstraps, um, and it does not taste fishy. Um, it was just a deep, dark, livery red meat mm-hmm. that just, it did not have a, a desirable flavor or texture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... So yeah, I've, I've tried a, I've tried a lot of different things. Uh, turtle, I love turtle. Turtle's just a hell of a lot of work. Um, there are guys like Newt Sterling out there that make it look easy, and yeah. um, you know, um, uh, but but it's 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 a lot of work. But it is uh, it is good meat, mm-hmm. and that goes back to sort of the prepping thing. You know, if you get on the all these survivalist boards and everything about, I'm gonna shoot deer. People have no idea what they're talking about because as soon as you start night hunting deer, they they evaporate, they disappear, they're going to leave, you know. Um, and um, but but there's a lot of stuff out there that you can put on your list, um, such as turtles that are going to be swimming right by most people yeah. that they're not going to be aware of in a in a dire situation. In a dire situation, there wouldn't be any deer 
in yeah. the left. Yeah. They'd all be good. I mean, yeah. they'd be dead or mm-hmm. gone. What's and what's interesting is uh, I have uh, a friend who has property in a very poor area of Tennessee, a very low income rural area where I mean it, it's it's you know in Appalachia there are places that are just poverty stricken, and given the rise in food prices and everything, I've noticed when I go out there, the deer have been shot. In other words, people are already, there are areas in this country where people are already in survivalist mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it's happening. It's, it's a slow, it's a slow process. And there are areas that are still nice and all of that. And, but uh, there's a lot of people that are already having to, to make do. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it was like Carl was talking about trot lining and everything, you know, and, and and the ability to, to me, it's the ability to where if you know how to trap, if you know how to hunt, you know how to fish, all three, they're like three legs of a stool. You know, they all support each other. Yep. Um, and you can go out, whether it's frog gigging, um, trot lining, um, turtling, know how, you know, how to, how to make turtle lines. And this is the stuff that, that the type of stuff that I cover on the Patreon it's a lot of it you can't put on YouTube. Um, you know the antis are always watching, and and then you got the the legal eagles uh, that are, that want to figure out who you are and where you live and turn you into the warden and all of this kind of stuff. And so that's why if you go to Patreon.com/slash/MeatTrapper or go to MeatTrapper.com, uh, I even sell a, a series of three books, um, and basically they're they're poaching books, but they're entertaining. Um, stories about uh, uh, how the guy goes out and how he enters a property and and, and does his thing and and it's all uh, it's all it's it's educational and entertaining at the same time. And the fascinating thing is, th- these are expensive books. They're forty dollars a piece. There's three of them. I sell almost as many overseas as I do in the United States, hmm. Germany, Australia, Great Britain. Those people are really hurting, mm-hmm. and there's almost no legal way to do a lot of that stuff over there. So if they're going to do it at all, it's got to be under the cover. Mm-hmm. And, and and by the time you add shipping in, I mean people, you know, think a forty dollar book is an expensive book. They're paying seventy dollars a book and glad to get it. Yep. It's 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 really interesting when you have people in Germany, and France, and Spain, saying it's an eye opener. Yeah, I uh, you know, I've had I've had people that have bought traps from me that I can't send them the trap in the mail, so I have to send them three packages, one package with the jaws, one package with the base plates, you mm-hmm. know where I have to disassemble the trap because I can't send them a Bridger number 11 in the mail. Huh. Customs will seize it. Huh. Illegal. Huh. And so that's what I, I, and we talk about that. I run two Telegram channels uh, for my Patreon members and we have people from all over the world on that and they're like, y'all don't understand. We cannot buy a trap. They, they will have, what they'll do is if they're visiting the United States, if they're going to fly from Norway to the United States, they will have traps sent 
to an address in the United States where they're staying, and then they'll smuggle them back in their suitcase. Hmm. And so people don't understand what they have here. And if you don't have stuff, you need to buy it, you need to stock up. Not only are prices going up, but you can still buy it just about any kind of trap you want. And there are people six hours away by airplane that are having to buy the parts and assemble the traps. Mm -hmm. And and the average trapper doesn't understand that. They you know they think oh I'll always be able to buy. No you you know there's no guarantee you're always going to be able to buy what you want. No, no. I and mean, you you can't buy plastic bait cups sometimes. You know? Yeah. So I mean a trap's a lot harder to manufacture than a yep. plastic cup. And the trap isn't going to go bad. No. You you buy that foothold trap, you're gonna have it. You know. Yeah, if twenty years ago you'd have bought two semi loads of traps. Yeah. You'd have you'd have made quite a bit of money on them just yep. on the on the price of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had better traps. I've still got jump traps that I take out and use. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about how old they are and how many animals those things have caught. You know, I have a number elevens that I bought twenty years ago, and and you look at how much I paid for it, like four or five dollars. For a trap and then you think about how many animals I've mm-hmm. caught for that $5 trap yep. and how much meat that is the return on your investment is staggering right. yep. Yep. but nobody thinks about it mm-hmm. like that people no. don't people don't no. think about it you know invest in your 401k I'll invest in a number 11 how about that you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean yep. so Anyway, that's that's my rant. They uh, well, so they can find you at the Patreon, and then you're, you still have your YouTube channel. Yep, Meat Trapper, and then uh, my website's meattrapper.com. Okay, so if you want to, you know, a lot of you out there will know Tim, but uh, you know, if you don't, go check out his channel. His YouTube channel is fantastic um, because he covers a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, with one video might not interest you, but you'll have four other ones that do. And it's it's no fluff, no bullshit. If a trap is a piece of shit, he tells you right on there, <laughs> these traps are shit, you know. Um, you can tell he ain't bought and paid for by anybody, you know. So it's a really cool channel. And if if you come on there and give him any shit, he'll tell you to stick it up your ass. You know, I mean, he don't take no bullshit. He don't care, you know. So if, 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 I would just warn you, if you don't like that, don't go there. But, you know, but most of you, most of you people out there, uh, you know, are independent people. And, you know, Tim's the kind of channel that you want to follow, you know. So go check them out. And what do, what do you got there, Big Shooter? What's that? Traplinecoffee.com. Traplinecoffee.com. Go there and get all your, get all your delicious coffee. Yep. Um, yeah, I haven't. I the blueberry things. Uh, they got worked over first. The yeah, those are gone. Yeah, yep, we, yeah. Uh, those were good. We we're, now not that I was the one that worked them over, yeah. but they were good. I think it was <laughs> a lot of lids. Yeah, yeah. Somebody <laughs> did. Yeah, her, she had purple on her lips. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we're now offering chocolates. Um, we got six different chocolate candies that we that we offer to go along with our coffees. Um, the malted. Chocolate malted balls are oh, great, those man. Are, those are my kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, that, those. Will, I told Sarah we're never ever going in the. We either <laughs> if we go in the candy business, we, yeah. we have to go out of the trapping, you know, <laughs> because I'll be too so freaking fat that yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
And yeah. the antis, I, I lose 25 pounds. The antis, hey, you big fat pig. I'll get <laughs> big fat pig. And I'm like, that is such an asshole move. Yep. I mean, I just lost 25 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you give me no credit for anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can buy all of our chocolates, and we'll uh, we'll never call any one of you fat, and uh, we'll actually help take credit for putting that weight on you. Yep. We have no problem yep. with that. Yep. The coffees are absolutely fantastic, and um, one of the things that we take you know pride in is that you know on a on a small scale, right? Um, we're giving back to the trapping community, you know, through every purchase, whether you. Whether you actually roll up your sale um, in, in checkout, or you know you uh, you put a custom amount in there or not, um, you know we we greatly appreciate that. But also through every sale, TraplineCoffee.com is also um, putting a, a portion of, of the uh, proceeds um, back into the trapping community, and that all goes to currently it all goes to Fur Bearer Unlimited. Um, and not only that, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, every place I go, I see you and Jess, uh, you know, like donate, you know, I'll see uh, Trapline Coffee yeah. stuff donated at uh, different auctions and stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, is this isn't some corporation, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, everything you donate, the same as us. Comes out of I your mean, pocket. It's coming, it, it, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's like taking 20 bucks and just giving yeah. it to them, you yeah. know, so I mean, yeah. you know, I mean... Just so people understand, yeah. you know, that when you're doing donating that stuff, I mean, that ain't free. You paid for it. Right. I mean, right. So. No, it definitely has a has an impact, you know, um, a direct impact on, on us. And, but we gladly do it. You know, it's one of the, it's, uh, it's an industry that we love. And, um, you know, Jessica obviously is the coffee connoisseur and it was her passion. You know, we used to have a. We used to have a brick and mortar coffee business um, back in uh, the early 2000s that we closed down in 2008 when the economy turned. And um, after J3 Outdoors, um, you know, going to all the conventions and stuff, and she still had a desire to get back into the coffee business and um, or to have her own brand really mm -hmm. is what she wanted. And, I don't know that she wanted it to be called Trapline Coffee. Um, <laughs> she probably had a little different vision on that. Probably like Little Feather, you know, or some uh, feller, Pocahontas or something, you know. But uh, no, so she had a little bit different vision. But it just made sense because we're going to all the trapping conventions and stuff, and trapping being a passion that we we combined the two and. She's the um, most popular person at the convention. <laughs> she definitely. Uh, She's got the candy and the coffee. Candy and the coffee, and that you know <laughs> that's what it is. And, um, so yeah, so that's what we got. So if you're interested, uh, traplinecoffee.com, and um, we do have subscriptions, which works out really good for people. Um, if you want to get on a a reoccurring uh, subscription where you want one bag a month or three bags a month or one bag every six months or whatever you can do that and save a little bit of money doing that that way too so they uh and uh if any of you out there would like jeff haggerty to start doing a show send him a private message and tell him that you know he needs to start doing a trapping radio show <laughs> especially you anthony <laughs> you know who i'm talking to 500 messages ought to do it yeah yeah <laughs> 
No, uh, and and to end up, I'd like to encourage everybody to go out and buy a king size jar of Hellfire, mm-hmm. and uh, during the off season when you're not trapping, uh, just inject it into paintballs and go shoot a liberal. It's great fun. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Start on I-40 on the bridge down there they blocked off. Yeah. Protesting for Palestine. But that's yeah. another subject. Yep. All right. So anyways, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Liz. Oh, I wasn't a part of this, but you're oh, welcome. Th- you just cannot stay out of any situation. <laughs> there she is. She heard, she's seen a microphone, and here she comes. Someone heard, someone heard chocolates. Yeah, she heard Sarah talking about chocolates and coffee, and here comes Liz. Oh, and her, and her cohort, Sarah's here now, too. We better go. Yep. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>